So I, I, I live in a little hermitage up here and um, it's not really, it's not uh, large enough to uh, receive guests so I come and use this, um, this house here on, on Sundays when have Dharma sessions in the morning and um, every now and again uh, an English session and the usual afternoon program uh, will begin with me giving a talk and um, I think there may be five or ten minutes just to stretch your legs and then we'll have a meditation session together uh, following which um, questions and answers session Okay. Yes. okay. Right. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I've been talking non stop since about eight thirty this morning, so I just have to gather myself. Namotasam kawato arahato sama sambutasam Namotasam kawato arahato sama sambutasam Namotasam kawato arahato sama sambutasam Kutang tamang sankang kanutrang pachayang namasami Um, one of the one of the concepts which I believe is is missing or at least is uh, not at all clear or, or, or coherent in in the, the Western world, at least as far as I'm aware, is that of the perfected human being, or the idea that um, of perfection in this imperfect life, or an idea of completeness in an incomplete world. And what is the the highest, what is the the best that can be hoped for from from life in this world. Now that that to begin with that that already may be may be challenged um, to say well uh, who 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 decides on the criteria, who decides that one way of life one way of looking at the world, one way of acting, of thinking is is in any way better than any other way. Isn't that just a matter of opinion? In, in, in Buddhism, in Theravada Buddhism in particular, we, we insist upon the humanity of the Buddha, the historical Buddha, in the Mahayana tradition, the, uh, the Buddha is often conceived in a much more metaphysical way. In Theravada, we look to the Buddha as a human being, a very special human being, undoubtedly, but one who, through his own efforts, proved exactly what human beings are capable of. So he was uh, enlightened, if you like, as a representative of the human race. And his disciples, both men and women, both monastics and householders, have over the past 2,500 years proved through their own efforts that his enlightenment was not just a fluke, not just a one-off or something that was um, particular to him, but something which 
is uh, truly accessible to all human beings. And so the teachings in Theravada Buddhist tradition are concerned primarily with this um, challenge to realize the full potential of our human birth, following in the footsteps of the Buddha and of his great disciples. So having the goal of Nibbana or enlightenment, we have a, a compass, as it were. We have, based upon a belief in the possibility the, uh, of actualizing or realizing Nibbana, then on that ground we have a criteria for deciding what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is better, what is best. Um, the, all those actions of body, speech and mind which lead away from the highest goal are considered bad. All those actions of body, speech and mind which lead um, towards the goal are good. So, so good and bad, right and wrong, these terms have meanings within the Buddhist tradition in relation to this path towards enlightenment. So enlightenment is conceived not as, a, as like a special state or as a, a particular place, um, but it can be understood most easily in, in psychological terms as a complete absence of all forms of greed, aversion and delusion. So that's the, what they call the via negativa, the negative um, formulation. The positive formulation is that um, a perfection, a completeness of wisdom and compassion. There is a third quality usually um, added to that, although um, was not um, taught by the Buddha himself, and that is a purity, meaning a complete freedom, inner freedom from, from all defilement. So the, the, the path is one in which we seek to uh, reduce um, and overcome the greed and hatred and delusion and all their um, offspring and children and grandchildren and to find ways of promoting and nurturing all those qualities um, that manifest primarily in wisdom, and compassion, and goodness and freedom. So this, this is a path which we, we can characterize as being um, organic or holistic in the sense that the different aspects and the different stages um, are interconnected. Traditionally we speak of a, a threefold education or a threefold training. Um, the first stage of which is devoted to a training of conduct. The second a training of the emotions. The third a training of wisdom. Now in that three step or threefold training, the first of conduct is one in which the training of emotion and the training of wisdom is present in a supportive role. In the training of emotion, the training in conduct and wisdom is present also in the background in a supporting role. And the training of wisdom similarly um, is, must be accompanied by the training in conduct and of emotion um, in the background. So it's not that there's step one, step two, step three, 
um, but in each stage, all three aspects are present, but that one takes precedent or is, is, is um, manifest. So, for instance, in, in the case of the training of conduct, then it's important to, to recognize that the, the teachings in the area which we would loosely call morality, although uh, we can immediately see uh, a great deal of overlap with the uh, moral codes of other religious systems, there, there is something um, unique um, to be observed here, and that is that the, there is no um, reward and punishment involved, there are no commandments, but that the, the Buddhist takes on voluntarily the training of conduct. And if there isn't a sense of voluntary commitment, then even though a person might refrain from killing and stealing and so on, he wouldn't be considered to be, or she wouldn't be considered to be, um, actually actively committed to this education process. Um, because if we're merely avoiding certain kinds of actions out of fear of um, the reactions of others, uh, humiliation, um, criticism, or perhaps even uh, being punished and put into to jail, then it would not have the connection with the training in, of emotion and the training of wisdom which is necessary for it to be a, a Buddhist morality or a Buddhist sila. So in, in the ceremony in which um, lay Buddhists take the five precepts, the, the ceremony begins with the request for the precepts. And that is significant. Um, there has to be the sense of taking on these precepts as tools to educate our conduct and as objects of mindfulness in daily life. As it's very difficult, isn't it, to maintain any kind of stream of awareness in um, a very confused and confusing environment where there are constantly um, varied calls upon our attention and um, times when we have to be active, other times we need to be passive, and times we need to talk, and times we need to listen. So many different things going on. And most um, medita so-called meditation techniques uh, are not really sustainable in that kind of environment. But um, what we can uh, be aware of in our daily life, and is a, a basic grounding in the present moment are the precepts that we take on as trainings of conduct to refrain uh, from hurting and harming and from stealing and taking what's not given and, and so on. And these precepts can be refined upon. Um, we can take those as, as the basic uh, objects of awareness, but we may uh, add on um, trainings for ourselves. in addition to that. For instance, in, in the case of the third precept of refraining from adultery, you might make, a, for instance, um, a training rule for yourself of not to speak on the telephone or have email um, conversations with mem uh, members of the other sex um, um, more than a certain number of minutes or more than a certain number of times a month or something. You can make particular private kinds of standards for yourself which are a very good um, means of bringing yourself back um, to the present moment and reminding yourself of your responsibilities and so on. The so the the ability to keep these precepts well um, is dependent upon ability to 
recognize and to keep abreast of the intentions forming in your mind because sila in the Buddhist sense is essentially a matter of intention and so the we can see that there has to be this inner training to complement the outer training you have to be mindful in other words so the uh, the wisdom faculty involved here is seeing the value of the precepts each precept each training rule that you that you take upon yourself voluntarily you really see the the suffering um, the difficulties the the uh, confusion that will arise from not keeping the precept and the value and the benefit of keeping it and this is um, this is one of the basic um, wisdom techniques the, first, the very first um, initial level of wisdom development is this thinking in terms of pros and cons as we say in English you're seeing the, the, the benefits and the drawbacks and training oneself to do that in a very systematic way um, in, in your daily life particularly in terms of the standards that I mentioned a moment ago, those things which free the mind, which, which um, uplift the mind, and those things which um, drag the mind downwards, and saying, well, this particular activity, this particular way of speaking, um, does it um, make the mind bright and clear, and, or does it make the mind feel very cloudy and um, uh, soiled um, after I've acted in this way and spoken this way? Uh, do I feel guilt and remorse um, or do I feel, uh, feel joy and contentment? So bringing those standards to bear in a kind of a, a, a pros and cons um, analysis of action is, is part of the, the training in, in sila and the benefits that we can see very clearly are both internal and external. Externally, we can see that any family, uh, community, society will thrive um, in the presence of trust and will wither and will have serious difficulties whenever that trust is lost. And the um, trust is created and sustained uh, when the members of a family or community have a shared standards of conduct. So we can't, of course, forbid ourselves from having um, angry thoughts, covetous thoughts, lustful thoughts, and so on. Uh, but uh, we can uh, recognize them as thoughts and not feel compelled to act upon them we have a certain standard. Well, that's fair enough. That's a, that's a thought that's arisen um, according to causes and conditions. No need to feel terrible about it. But our freedom lies in that we have standard of conduct which we will uphold. So, in in in, in Buddha Dhamma, we make it very clear that um, unwholesome and negative thoughts and emotions um, are not things that we can take responsibility for and that we should feel bad about um, but that we should seek to heal or to deal with we realize that they've arisen because of ways that we've acted ways that we've thought in the past these are ingrained habits but they're not inherent in our our minds and our consciousness they're things that have accumulated until they become automatic in our minds but through uh, supporting wholesome dhammas um, of uh, kindness and and uh, wisdom and mindfulness and so on then they can be gradually undermined and then those thoughts and mental states that pop up into the mind spontaneously um, change in nature and become more and more wholesome and good and kind so there's nothing fixed 
in the mind at all. There are there are merely um, energies and things which have been um, being promoted and have been encouraged sometimes over many lifetimes. Those in that case takes um, quite a while um, to deal with these things and to be very patient. The um, so. Rather than looking at precepts as commandments, we're looking at them as ways of developing mindfulness, groundedness in, in daily life, giving us certain standards that we can come back to um, and to um, align our behavior, practically speaking, with, with our ideals. And they are means by which we can create practically the kind of families and the kind of communities that everybody wants to live in, where we feel a sense of trust, kindness, warmth, um, <clears throat> safety, security. So the 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 training in in precepts is considered absolutely essential to the um, the higher or the the more subtle levels of training because without that foundation in sila um, we tend to lack the self-confidence, we tend to lack the um, good feeling towards ourselves, the, the self-esteem, self-respect, that sense of um, being a good friend to yourself which is essential um, when you are starting to enter into areas of experience which are strange or unusual or unprecedented. And that kind of emotional stability that comes from leading a blameless life is um, absolutely essential. So there are a lot of... Um, teachings which um, speak of the, the person on the path or the person who is steadfast on the path, the person who is um, the, uh, the good man or the good woman, they call the Sappurissa. Um, and there's, there's one particular group of, of dhammas or virtues of the, the good person, which I think are quite uh, useful to uh, learn about and to memorize again as um, a kind of a check checkpoint checkpoints for for your own practice, and they are um, essentially um, things that you know or a wise person will know or will will have some acquaintance with and have some grounding in. And the first two are um, are, are a pair and one is knowing the, the the causes, the conditions of things, and one is knowing the the results or the goal of of things. So I think generally speaking um, we can see in many people tend to have an imbalance here. Some people very inspired with ideals and slogans and um, and find some kind of exasperation and, and um, with the nitty bitty, the details, the actual um, work needed um, to actualize those ideals. I think like um, just want the sort of broad um, strokes of uh, sort of the, the big picture in this and finding that, that uh, emphasis on, on methods, methodology, on um, you know what we're doing right now step by step um, to be a bit depressing and a bit uh, um, kind of just a hard brunch, whereas the moment you think of sort of great spiritual ideas and spiritual enlightenment, well, just full of energy. And, and so the problem being that um, 
one's just feeding off some idea um, rather than doing the work which will lead to the idea and perhaps lacking the uh, the understanding of what exactly are the causal conditions for realizing that. So the uh, the wise person is one who is very meticulous in terms of uh, understanding and actualizing the causes and conditions for success in any particular endeavor. The other, the other extreme, of course, is when people just get too caught up in the details of things, um, very meticulous, very careful, so on, but forget why they're doing it in the first place. So this is, this is why the second um, virtue of the, the wise person is that they, they always keep the goal in mind. And so what's, you know, what's the big picture here? What, what are we doing this for in the first place? You know, if you're you know, sometimes in, in relationships where you can get into these kind of ongoing arguments um, where um, it all, it, everything just shrinks down to you know, having a victory in this particular argument or, not be, or having the last word or being the, the one who is acknowledged to be right and um, perhaps um, giving that so much importance that being willing to do long-term damage to a relationship um, forgetting uh, the whole point of living together in the first place. So the wise person is one who um, gives equal value, appropriate value to causes, techniques, methods and is constantly uh, looking to, um, to improve. This is um, uh, a, a factor which has a particular, also a particular quality or, or name in Pali or so we mangsa, which means constantly checking and um, looking to for faults in the way that you do things, not taking things for granted and say, well I've done it like this, this is the way I do it, it's my style, it's, it's right, it's good enough. But being humble enough, willing enough to, to look again and to, and to make changes and to, uh, to learn from mistakes. Um, at the same time, keeping in mind the overall goal. Why, what is the reason? What is the purpose? Uh, why, am, why am I doing this? For what purpose? This is a um, very important reflection um, in, in our lives. And uh, one which has uh, significance for time management, of course, you know, there's that kind of nice, uh, this isn't a Buddhist thing, but I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it, it's within the boundaries of, like the, uh, what is it, um, I'm thinking in Thai now, urgent and necessary, necessary, not urgent, urgent, not necessary, not necessary, not urgent. So, um, you know, being able to do what's both necessary and urgent first, and what's not necessary and not urgent last, or not at all. The second and the third one, I think, are probably the most interesting um, things which are urgent and not necessary, and necessary and not urgent, because they would tend to put the urgent but not necessary before necessary and not urgent. It's one of the reasons why um, so few people keep up their meditation practice on a regular basis. Um, so the, these these two two points of um, the method, the the methodology. The, the practice and the results, both on the day-to-day -day level and on a sort of a larger, long-term level. Um, next one is um, knowing yourself, and this can seem a little strange um, given the well-known Buddhist emphasis on teaching of not-self, but the, the word self is used by the Buddha in the, in the conventional um, level, meaning awareness of your strong points and weak points and um, not being, uh, not fooling yourself or um, turning a blind eye to, to your weaknesses. You know, it's very, um, very easy to 
to waste a lot of time and to become very frustrated, disappointed, putting effort into to things which are really not suited to at all. And, um, and constantly overlooking and justifying um, weak points and faults and trying to create situations and conditions where we don't have to um, face up to those things. That's why um, in monastic life, um, in the forest monasteries, um, monks have to spend like at least five years, a uh, like sort of apprenticeship, living in communities before they have the opportunity to, to go off on retreat by themselves. Um, because um, there's so many things that you, uh, it's difficult to learn in solitude that you can uh, learn more easily in community. Similarly, there are a lot of things that you can learn in solitude that you can't learn so easily in community. But in community, you're, you're constantly being confronted with people who have a different idea of who you are than you have. Um, and some of these people are, are quite intelligent, usually in monastic cues and quite sensitive and um, perceptive, so it's not easy to dismiss them in the same way. Um, and it's a reason why young monks, you know, uh, start to pine for solitude often. You know, it's difficult for monks because you have all these teachings about the, the joys of solitude and it's sort of the ideal life of a, of a monk. So, um, something I teach my, my own students and monks in the monastery is that uh, if you uh, quarrel with other monks, don't think that you go off and live in solitude, it will be any better because if you quarrel with other monks, you live by yourself, you'll quarrel with yourself. Um, it, it's only if you, you can live at peace with other monks that you have necessary uh, maturity to, to live alone. So there are, um, there are lots of spiritual teachings which can be used to justify ourselves and to, um, to lie to ourselves, basically. And living in community um, is sometimes compared with um, living like a, a pebble on the seashore with a lot of other pebbles. The sea comes in, the sea comes out, the pebbles rub against each other and over the course of time they become very smooth. Whereas um, uh, rocks or pebbles on the mountain top uh, never get any kind of um, friction and so they, they uh, remain kind of ugly and jagged for a, a long time. So the, the um, living with others and living with people sort of rub you up the wrong way um, is not a bad thing in itself. Um, it's, it, if we're taking on this process of interest and, and wanting to understand oneself and to see um, the areas in which we attach and cling to things and the, the lies that we, we tell ourselves, then living uh, with others, with good friends and people who have similar spiritual ideals and people who we can trust um, is, is a great benefit. So um, knowing, knowing ourselves, knowing um, where we need to, to work and being able to apply effort there in a very humble way. We can't in, in spiritual life um, take calendars very seriously and we'll say, well, uh, you know, I've been doing this for uh, weeks now or months now or even years now and, and it's, I don't see, you know, any, any movement, anything happening. Well, that's, uh, that's not necessarily true anyway, but even if it were, um, if we take the uh, different time scale and think, well, you, perhaps you've been accumulating a, uh, an unwholesome habit for, let's say, a thousand lifetimes, you know, what's, what's ten years? You know, it's, um, uh, it depends on the, the time scale that you take. It's more a matter of saying, is something worth doing? And then saying, well, I'll just keep at it until um, I'm successful. 
um, I don't know if uh, some of you may have have read uh, a book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. So my favourite writers, and he has a chapter in this book um, on the different on the reasons why Asian kids tend to be better at maths than American kids or European kids. And um, <coughs> one or two of the experiments that have been done, they gave children, one Japanese or Japanese children, American children, uh, maths problems which they knew were too difficult for them and to see what happened. And the, the Japanese children um, tended to keep on at the uh, trying to work out the, the problem much longer, significantly longer than the American children. When the second um, section, they gave them two further questions, one very similar to the first one, which they couldn't answer, and another one of a different type. Nearly all of the American children uh, switched to the second kind of question, um, including where the first kind of question is too difficult, and try a second time question, whereas almost all the Japanese kids went for the question which was similar to the first one, which they couldn't answer, um, because, well, maybe that will give me an insight on how to work out this particular kind of problem. So a number of um, different kinds of tests came up with the, the overall conclusion that uh, essentially it's, it's the willingness to keep at something, uh, to stick at something, not to give up, to be patient, which is the, the primary um, conditioning uh, factor for success in, in this and in, in many other endeavors, almost all, all endeavors. So th these are kind of very basic, everyday, uh, mundane kinds of qualities that perhaps we don't give so much importance as we might. It's being, just being willing to keep at something um, and not keep looking at the clock or not looking at the calendar and just, then when you've decided there's something, it, it's worth doing no matter how long it takes. Now, well, it takes as long as it takes, and we, we have no idea of what's happened in uh, previous lives and what baggage we're bringing into this life. So we just we work with what we've got. <clears throat> the next um, quality is um, knowing uh, the right amount. Uh, the, the phrase, this phrase usually translated into English is moderation. Um, but it's um, in, in, in Pali or in Thais Brahman, which, which is more a sense of just the right amount, the optimum, knowing what's the optimum amount. And this teaching particularly is applied to uh, our relationship to the material world, to possessions, to money, um, and, and so on and so forth. So... Um, Rather than this idea of the more the better, um, the sense that it's, it's never enough, um, and saying, well, what's, what's the right amount? What, what, what is the optimum amount? And again, we can see that, that the sense of you can only really reflect on and, and determine the optimum amount if you have this idea of, of the best the, or, or the goal that you're you're moving towards or you aspire to. So in the Buddhist idiom we'll say, okay, we're, we're trying to move towards a sense of inner, inner freedom, self-reliance, wisdom, compassion, kindness, uh, inner peace, and so on. These are the, the goals that we're moving towards. So we'll say, well, how much money do we need? How, what how much work do I need to do? What kind of work do I need to do? Um, how many possessions do I need to do? Um, which is uh, most conducive to the goals that I aspire to, or at the very least, which is least obstructive to them. Certainly, in, often in family life, for sure, we have to make um, a number of uh, compromises with the people around us who don't maybe don't have the same goals and ideals, but if it's if if we don't have that sense that this is as conducive as possible, then at least having the sense that is as as little as least obstructive as possible 
to the development of these spiritual goals um, that uh, we, uh, we aspire to. And um, again, using our wisdom faculty to, to reflect um, upon the, uh, the nature of sensual desires and not taking a kind of a, a Puritan or moralistic attitude to um, everyday enjoyments, but saying, well, what what really do we get from them? You know, is it is it really as, as satisfying as we would like to think? One of the similes uh, given by the Buddha is similar ones. It's like you've got an itch. He's in the niche. Um, in fact, he gives a very graphic example of someone with leprosy. But let's just take it on the level of someone with an itch. You know, and you and you scratch an itch, and it's really nice. You know, you scratch an itch that feels good. No, no doubt about it. But the problem is that um, uh, not very long afterwards, the itch comes back, and uh, often the itch is worse than it was before because of the scratch. So you have. Um, Scratching gives pleasure, but it is a cause for an intensification of the basic problem. And the Buddha is saying this is a this is a model for um, uh, the the kind of sensual pleasures that we chase after in in daily life. That um, we have a sense of uh, lack, a sense of incompleteness, of loneliness, of tension, of something not quite right, um, which um, propels us towards various pleasures which um, do temporarily take away that feeling or take away that itch but in the long term um, in fact make it even worse and there's also pointing towards the, the law, law of diminishing returns and that um, one a certain level, certain amount of stimulation um, doesn't um, give the, uh, the same amount of pleasure consistently after a while the amount of pleasure decreases through familiarity through boredom or whatever so you have to increase the stimulation increase its intensity or its variety um, and so you're on this, this constant kind of um, restless quest um, for some kind of cessation of the sense of lack which is um, ultimately frustrating. So that's not you know, an object of, of, of faith in, in Buddhists but the Buddhists asking us to look at our experience of sensual pleasure um, and seeing it seeing the whole the whole picture and actually how how wise how successful is this as a means of dealing with our suffering in life so in uh, for lay Buddhists uh, the Buddha gives the five precepts and well okay you know um, it's perfectly all right to um, to enjoy the pleasures of the senses if they're um, not leading to um, pain and suffering and inflicting pain and suffering on other people. So you have that, uh, those kind of boundaries there. So it's perfectly all right to go to the movies and listen to music and all these kinds of things, but um, the Buddha would recommend to have at least one day a month or two days a month, perhaps four days a month on the one Prat day where you refrain um, from those things just as a, um, a quiet day and a check and to see to what extent you're getting attached to those things and, and what it's like to, um, to live without them just for a while. Um, so there's that constant sense of interest and, and um, looking at our experience and using precepts, for instance, as a way of seeing that. Once you have that sense of um, podi, just, just the right amount, there, there is a sense of real um, balance and coolness in life. So 
the next is uh, uh, one is knowing time and place. Um, this is um, a recurrent theme in the in the training, and the again one which is very much dependent on the development of mindfulness and that kind of sensitivity. Um, to situations and sensitivity to the ripeness of of situations and uh, when we are when we are very angry or anxious about something and sometimes we're very self-righteous about something um, and something really does need to be said um, but because we don't have that sense of time and place um, we speak about it in uh, prematurely when the other person is not ready um, not in a uh, right frame of mind to be able to listen to what we're saying or we ourselves are just so caught up in in our, our emotion that we end up speaking far more strongly than we intended to um, and find ourselves speaking hurtfully or um, offending the other person and so on and so forth so it's not that that uh, perhaps a, a uh, conversation uh, shouldn't take place, but that because we lack that sense of uh, time and place and being able to um, patiently wait until the conditions are, are are the best possible way they could be for the for this particular conversation to take place, that um, we find great frustration. A lot of things um, that uh, need to be done. Um, we uh, we find we don't have enough time because uh, we're too busy doing other things. Um, and so going back to this whole time management again. But mindfulness is that quality of, of being present um, and being present um, not just to your your own um, body and mind, but to the whole uh, context in, in which you are you are living, and then what's going on around you. And the um, the next the ne the last two of these uh, qualities are, are are concerned with this also, and they're, they're social qualities. That's that's knowing knowing the individual and knowing the the group or the community or the society. Now, one of the one of the values of a regular meditation practice is that you are, uh, as it were, coming face to face with the human condition. You're putting the human condition under a microscope, as it were, the human condition as it manifests in in your own body and mind. So, when you try to um, be mindful and to steady the mind, clarify the mind, then uh, it's like trying to train a, a wild animal and it reacts and um, the mind goes uh, goes crazy and it can and it falls into um, habit habitual modes of escape and we can see how the mind tries to escape into pleasant fantasies, imagination, memories, or it gets caught up in aversion and anger or, or depression, boredom, laziness, or mental agitation or doubts. And all these mental states arise and become very clearly manifest as reactions to this effort to um, to dwell awake uh, and mindful in the present moment. So if, if, we, um, if we don't take it all very personally, but we see these as mental states, then even while our meditation practice is not particularly strong, we're, we're deriving a great deal of understanding of the way that negative mental states work, what they feed on, what makes them stronger, what makes them weaker, how they arise, how they pass away. So if you see within yourself this, um, your, your own sense of greed and, and lust and, and um, covetousness and aversion and so on, 
as a mental state which is arising and, and trying to pull the mind away from the present moment, then you are developing an understanding of that human quality which is manifest in, in everyone else. So the, the clearer um, insights you have into different mental states uh, which manifest in your own mind, then the more understanding you have of the people around you. The way that you lie to yourself is the way that other people lie to themselves. When you see how um, your mind can just be swept away by some uh, negative emotion, just out of the blue, and how strong and powerful it can be, um, and how difficult it is to deal with, then uh, ideally, um, when you see that in somebody else, there is a, an enhanced empathy and understanding and forgiveness. Oh, that's exactly what happens to me. You know, uh, um, that person's just uh, completely uh, lost it because of that particular um, event or something you know, that happens to me when that happens. And, and so the more you, you see and the more you, uh, you look at the way your own mind works, the more you understand how other people's mind works. And this is one of the, um, the benefits of meditation practice which, which becomes uh, apparent very quickly even though, um, as I say, you may not feel yet that you've derived any great benefit from meditation, sense of enhanced um, inner peace and, and, and wisdom and so on. But there is this uh, growing um, insight into the human condition through having to deal with the, the, the nitty-gritty of your own human condition that, that manifests when you, when you try to meditate. Um, the last of uh, these qualities is um, uh, understanding of communities, how communities work, and being able to um, function within families and communities in, in the best possible way. And so, put uh, qualities here that, that are needed, one was saying is um, sila and restraint of, of, of body and speech and, uh, and that, that aspect of the training, um, but also um, being able to adapt and compromise and not to attach um, too strongly to views and opinions and beliefs in particular. And though the, the, the teaching of non-attachment is um, very um, central one in the Buddhist tradition and uh, my teacher say very simply the, if you attach to something a lot you suffer a lot you attach to something a little you suffer a little you don't attach you then you don't suffer and um, what attachment means in this sense is attaching to something as me or mine or, or in other terms identifying with some something so if you have a particular idea or a particular opinion um, and you identify with it, then you get into an argument, and then suddenly there's all this, where's all this emotion coming up? Uh, actually, quite a minor, um, minor point of procedure or way of doing things, and suddenly there's all this kind of emotion coming up, because it's not so much the, the, um, the issue itself, it's, it's your relationship to the issue, and the fact that you know, your, your sense of self, your standing in the community, your dignity, um, your your respect and, and your image and so on ha has all been projected onto this idea. So you have to um, protect this idea and fight for this idea, come what may. And then you can find yourself, I'm sure you, I found myself in a position where you're, you're protecting and, and speaking up quite strongly for a position you no longer hold. Um, you've already been convinced that you're actually, you've got it wrong, but you, you just can't somehow uh, come around to um, admitting that, um, you know, in the course of an argument. So that sense of attaching to particular thoughts, ideas, being willing uh, to compromise, being willing to let go of the way you like to do things in certain, certain areas. Um, but in a sense also knowing when not to compromise. Um, you know, if you, if you take um, fitting in um, as your as your goal, then that's that's dangerous. Also, if you're uh, with people who uh, have very different ideas of um, what life's about, or different ideas of the 
right ways to to behave, and you can just lose your 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 whole anchor and sense of uh, groundedness if you simply try to take the path of least resistance. You want to be popular, you want to be loved by everyone and liked by everyone. So this is why the, those precepts, which I was speaking about at the beginning, are so important. You say, well, yes, I'm willing to compromise um, in other areas in terms of what I like personally or what you know what I what I think is um, enjoyable or not enjoyable, but you know not um, not going to uh, break any precepts just to make other people happy. So that, there has to be that that sense of integrity, uh, also. Only um, learning learning from communities and the values of communities and what you can give uh, to communities. We we can all uh, we can all um, give something, and the act of uh, of giving is uh, something which brings immediate and lasting joy. To to life in in Buddhism, it's about making merit, and often in terms of giving. And it's a and as Buddhist teaching says that if you give without any desire for anything in return, you make a lot more merit than if you give with hope of something in return. So you know what does that mean? The whole idea of merit is one of a difficult one. To uh, to grasp sometimes, but let let's take an example. If you um, recall um, some occasion in the past in which you you gave um, something, it might have been money, it might have been a material object, it might have been um, time, it might have been anything which you you gave without any desire for anything in return at all. Now. I think you'll notice that even if that event took place five years ago, or ten years ago, or twenty years ago, even or thirty years ago, even or however, um, the moment you think about it, it feels really good. It does feel really warm and bright and um, happy. Whereas if uh, there was some occasion in the past where you gave. Uh, some support, you gave some money, gave uh, with some desire for some material advantage, or perhaps just to for, to be admired, or to be liked, or to be uh, well known, or whatever. Um, after some time has passed, you you can think of that, remember it, and you just feel kind of nothing. Mm. So, um, so what the Buddha is saying here is that. When we give without any desire for anything in return, we actually recreate um, like a treasure in our hearts and one which is accessible to us throughout our lives. Even in times when we're in desperate straits or we're in, in great physical pain, just the recollection of the good actions that we have performed in the past are an immediate kind of salve. Or, or balm on the mind, and it's something that you carry around with you, everywhere. and that's what merit means. <clears throat> Whereas when you do things quite quite uh, admirable things, but there is some desire for something, you may well receive that short-term benefit, that worldly benefit. But in terms of some kind of spiritual uh, resource, spiritual power, something that you can turn your mind towards at any time and 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 feel sustained. Then, then that's not going to happen. <clears throat> so, living with others gives us um, in communities gives us um, many opportunities to to give in this way, creating happiness um, around us, but also creating long-term inner inner benefits and sense of brightness and uplift and the more we um, let go of our attachment to our own likes and dislikes and what we want, what we like, what we don't like, then uh, that sense of community, inner community of being all in this together, we're all in the same boat, we're all, as they say in Buddhist idiom, companions in birth, old age, sickness and death becomes very uh, very clear, and, and we see that that kind of selfish, everyone out for themselves, kind of idea, 
um, is in fact um, quite an unintelligent uh, idea. So uh, just to illustrate this, I, I've got a little story I'd like to tell you. Um, so I was telling people this morning, I'll tell you again. And it's about a farm and uh, in this farm they like to eat cheese and there's a little mouse who likes to eat cheese as well. So the mouse likes to uh, creep into the house and uh, eat some of the cheese. I mean, only just a very small amount. Um, but the, the farmer doesn't like it, the farmer's wife doesn't like it, so they put down a trap. And the mouse sees the trap and is very frightened, runs out of the house and calls a meeting with his friends. And his friend says a cow and a pig and chicken. And he said, friends, uh, we're in trouble. The, the, um, the farmers put down a mouse trap. You know, if I go in there at night time and they move it around, you know, I could be killed. I know I really need my friends to, um, to help me out here and, and speak to the farmer and ask him to take this thing away. I mean, I just take a very small amount of cheese. It's not only leftovers anyway. And, <clears throat> and the cow said, Ah, that's your problem. I, I don't have enough time for that. You know, I'm, I'm out in the field all day. Do you know how much grass I have to eat in order to fill my stomach? It's just to, I don't have time for that. Your, your petty problems. And the pig says, uh, oh, I, I, I just don't get on with a farmer. You know, we just don't see eye to eye. We're always, you know, I speak to him. He doesn't listen. And, and um, uh, it's a big waste of time. Sorry. Then chicken says, "Oh, I'm not." I, so, and chicken doesn't like the mouse, and he just finds some kind of excuse. He's not going to. None of them want to help. Poor old mouse, isolated. None of his friends are going to help him. That night, a snake goes up into the house, gets its tail caught in the in the mouse trap, and uh, doesn't die. It's a lot of pain. And the farmer's wife comes to the kitchen in the morning, and the angry, frightened snake bites the housewife. And so she's in a lot of pain, and the uh, doctor comes and puts some kind of salve on it. It doesn't look good. So she's very ill and very weak. And so, uh, of course, uh, what do you give a very uh, sick, weak person to eat? Um, chicken soup. So, so the farmer goes out and wrings the chicken's neck, makes chicken soup for the... Uh, for the woman, she's still not getting better, and of course, those days the communication not very well. I have very good, and I have cars and things. You can't just go in the morning, come back in the evening. So there's a steady stream of people coming uh, to visit, spending overnight, and they're running out of food. So what can he do? So farmer kills a pig to make some uh, pork chops and and uh, feed all his guests. Poor lady, she still doesn't get better, and then she dies. And they have a um, they have a funeral. So many people come for this funeral. How are you going to feed them all? Just have to kill the cow and and um, feed all the guests at the funeral. So sad story: the chicken and the pig and the cow all die because they wouldn't help their poor friend, the mouse, uh, to ask the farmer to take the mouse trap out of the house. So this is um, one of these old stories for children that I love. Yeah, I think good for adults as well. And, um, I'm, it reminds me, I don't know if anyone, and I can't remember this um, verbatim, but there's a poem, I think, written by um, a Christian a German pastor called Bonhoeffer. Um, um, in the Second World War, and he says he talks about the Nazis. You know, first they came for the the brown shirts, and we thought, you know, sort of serves them right. Nothing to do with us. Then they came for the communists, and we thought, well, it's nothing to do with us. Then they came for the um, for the gays and the gypsies. Nothing to do with us. And they came for the Jews, and nothing came for us. And now they come for the 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 Christian pastors, <laughs> and it's too late. So this idea, you know, that, that we, we're saying, well, just look after me and mine and just let everyone else um, look after themselves. Um, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not only wrong, but it's not in the, in the long-term an intelligent uh, way of caring for communities. 
So, um, so today I've given a um, discourse about the seven Sapurisa Dhammas. So just to give you a, a recap on those, and if you have like a Buddhist dictionary, or you have, uh, you can look them up when you have them. So there's uh, there's the 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 dhammat, atta and dhamma, which is like the the causes and the results, or the the methods and the goals, and then um, knowing self, knowing the right amount or the optimum amount, knowing time and place, uh, knowing individual, and knowing the community. So uh, that'll be the end of my talk this afternoon.